0: MoneySense, bringing an informed financial perspective to the Cayman community. A very good morning and warm welcome to MoneySense. I'm Simon Caudry, and I'm delighted to welcome back to the show, by popular demand no less, from at least two supporters, Roscoe and Finley, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, uh, the erudite and perspic- perspicuous Adam Newman. I'm trying to think of words to describe you, Adam, and that's, that's <laughs> the one that came out of the, the, the thesaurus this morning. Adam gave us all the benefit of his research on decentralized finance a few months ago, and we have had listeners asking for more. We are therefore delighted to delve into a new topic, but one which is incredibly unexpectedly apposite insofar as all you read about now in the markets in financial commentary is the threat of inflation. And we planned this about a week or so ago. We discussed this over a stake and we said, let's talk about inflation. And suddenly the world went a bit crazy about this topic. So Adam, You've got half an hour to tell us what the devil we need to know about inflation.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for the introduction, Simon. Um, inflation is, is a topic we have actually touched on several times, um, and particularly from my sort of commodity perspective. So uh, I, I would add that I w- I'm not entirely un- un- uh, unsurprised by the inflation prints that we've seen. Uh, this, in my opinion, was was to be expected. Uh, and, and what I've talked about previously was that inflation, my expectations was for inflation would be a supply led inflation, a, a crunch in supply chains. Um, and ra- rather than, you know, a demand led inflation uh, shock, which, you know, may, may come from a over over strong or overheated economy. Um, what's really set the we've seen bond yields, which um, correlate to inflation, we've seen bond yields rising, which means interest rates have been rising, which is a a sign of inflation rising for uh, a little period of time. And this, again, was sort of expected as the economy recovered from, you know, falling off a cliff last year. We've uh, started to see, you know, economic growth improve. And so inflation tick up. But then yesterday, we had a CPI consumer price uh, index uh, inflation print out of the US, which far exceeded any uh, economists expectations. I think it came in at 4.2%, mm.
0: which is the highest something for about f- 12, 14, 15 years or so, isn't it?
1: Exactly. And so bond yields spiked uh, and growth stocks, uh, which mainly technology stocks sold off because they are very correlated to uh, interest rates. Um,
0: and this morning, while you're talking, and I know you wanted to be the one to break <laughs> this news, but I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I've got, it, I've got it on my screen. But you, you mentioned um, supply shocks, uh, ver- supply-driven inflation versus demand-driven inflation, and your point is that you're worried that supply shocks and inefficiencies or bottlenecks, etc., in supply chains may cause prices to rise. So you said yesterday we had consumer price inflation. This morning, just. Three minutes ago, we had producer price inflation. So that's the inflation that producers are suffering as they manufacture their goods and the costs that they're paying for raw materials and such like. So that, according to um, my numbers here, has come in at 6.2%. Uh, higher than the expected level of about 5.8%. So it's a huge increase in, in in actual terms, 6% inflation on a yearly basis, which we've never seen before if that would translate into consumer price inflation.
1: Yes, So, so we haven't seen these sort of inflation prints for a long time. And... Generally, economists have felt that, uh, you know, inflation was going to be subdued. We have a lot of labour slack in the economy because of because of Covid and because of the economic fallout of Covid. So this is starting to worry people. Why should we be worried about a higher inflation? Higher inflation essentially means more, uh, you know, higher price of uh, goods for for people. So it's a a higher cost of living. I think the the other bigger issue with inflation is, uh, as we talked about bond yields with a global economy, which is, Drowning in debt, high bond yields means the cost of servicing that debt goes up. So these are very real issues. Now the big debate is not whether we have inflation. We certainly do have the you know the start of uh, um, inflationary pressure. The Federal Reserve um, has said that they are not worried at the moment about inflation. They believe this inflation to be transitory partly driven by the opening up of the global economy you know this is all within their expectations
0: and we're coming off remember we are now in may and may last year was a very unpleasant time in the global economy so prices were particularly subdued last year and these are comparators to a year ago so you'd always expect coming off a a horrible time you'd expect things to be a little bit accentuated ex- ex- compared to what they would ordinarily be so that's the transitory argument i suppose uh,
1: absolutely um but so um, in terms of yeah so in terms of transitory so my I mean these these economists are the same economists who didn't see inflation coming. <laughs> They've also said they would allow inflation to run hot for you know some some time. Um, and so it's really where do we go from here where where you know where could inflation you know take us um, We do have labor market um, well we still have a lot of labor market slack but people are going to be starting to come back to work. So we should expect a now a demand shock, I think. So we've, we've had a supply shock. And by the way, the supply shock, I think, will remain for some time. We still have supply chain disruptions. We've seen in microchips, but we also see in things like uh, soft commodity prices, wheat, corn, even oil, coffee have been going up a lot. Um, this is partly driven by uh, a weak US dollar. It's partly been driven by weather, which we've sort of spoken about on, on previous um, shows as well. But in terms of demand-led shock, we have, so people returning to the labour force, we have uh, pent-up demand because people have been saving at, you know, an enormous rate uh, because we've had nowhere to go and spend money. So this money is now going to be spent. And if you look at the sort of filings from many companies in the US, uh, sorry, US and globally, companies' message is we will be raising prices. Our input costs, which we talked about, you know, and, and highlighted by the uh, producer price index input costs are rising, and because demand is improving and the labor force is improving, they are able to currently pass through that those extra prices to to consumers. but I would argue that the the pent up demand and the savings uh that uh consumers have that's probably likely to be more transitory yes we've we've got that because people haven 't been able to go out, but these savings could be very quickly eroded um if uh you know prices rise quickly um and so the the issue there is that prices tend to be sticky they go up a lot people eat through their savings um and the economy isn't as strong as we think it is and then we're stuck with you know slower growth higher prices um but the but the really big issue here is the Fed have said, we will, not, um, we will continue to support the economy for as long as it needs to be. And they've used employment as a measure of that. Uh, unemployment remains very high. And so the Fed is very happy to continue to pump lots of liquidity into the system. Um, but at the same time, you've got inflation rising. Uh, and um, the only way to stop sort of inflation or the, the most uh, orthodox way to stop inflation is by raising interest rates. So the, the Fed really is stuck between a sort of rock and a hard place uh, in terms of what they can do. Um, they want to keep providing liquidity, but at the same time that liquidity itself is driving up inflation.
0: I think to me that's a that's a really interesting... There's a couple of things that you've said there which I want sort to of digest and, and split out in a little bit. So on the one hand you've said that there there is unambiguously, supply shocks around the world. So you saw that with the Suez Canal. You see it with the cost of trying to build a home. Even in Cayman, lumber prices are extremely high, and that is, is suggestive of there being issues in the supply chain. But the average person would be looking at this and going, we've just had a, pa- a pandemic. We still are in a pandemic in technical terms. In other parts of the world, it's horrendous. How can there be a an inflationary situation when people can't spend money? So this is your point. And that's the problem, isn't it? It looks as though there isn't inflation in terms of everyone's day to day lives just yet, because people aren't spending the money and there's unemployment. But the worry is that percolating beneath the surface, which we haven't yet seen properly. Are these unpleasantries which would were they to come out onto the service and linger for a long time would start to see much quite rapid increase in car prices in the cost of building houses in travel prices in hotel prices in fuel prices all those sorts of things would start to quite rapidly lead into the consumer, and that's the problem isn't it because the fed so what you're saying is the fed is is focused almost exclusively on raising employment levels and ignoring these not ignoring but it's it's trying to ignore these factors and if it continues to focus on that while these factors continue to bubble away and get get more aggressive then all of a sudden it might be too late for it to act preemptively and therefore have to do things that are perhaps a little bit more um, harmful to markets by acting a little bit more aggressively than it would otherwise have had to that's is that is that the essence of
1: Uh, and interesting one of the sort of interesting phenomenons with uh, inflation is inflation expectations Mm. which is another thing that it's not a headline number but where people expect inflation to go and actually the headline inflation doesn't matter nearly as much as your future expectations of inflation if you have a future expectation that some cost of good is going to cost more in the future uh, you you, uh, it it becomes self-fulfilling and you end up driving the future price higher because people will you buy it consume. now, wait before it goes exactly. up and
0: that pushes the prices up. Yeah.
1: Exactly and so it's this inflation expectations that are rising uh, as well and that I'd say is more worrying plus you've got a Fed that's saying it's all transitory not to yeah. worry which is only perpetuating the the, the issue so you mentioned a uh, um, price of cars, used car sale prices in the US have been exploding in price, uh, I think they're up 10% year on year um, house prices are exploding in price and we hear you know many stories about people being uh, you know paying you know 5, 10, 15, 20 percent over asking price um,
0: so, so these it are is- often signs of bubbles that's a different way of looking at it in the same way a bubble where you pay over the asking price is is often associated with you look back 10 years later and go wasn't that so obvious why would anyone pay so much for an asset which was a depreciating asset and then we find well, it's easy in hindsight, of course.
1: Well, well, sitting behind that, you raise a very, very good question: is that the price of goods is going up a lot in the currency that it's denominated in? Okay. So, actually, you know, we, we, what we're also saying as, as this, or one what, what, what of the big takeaways, is that the US dollar value of uh, the, the US dollar's value is depreciating in all of this. Um,
0: and, but it's not just the US that's seeing supply. I mean, the US is not alone in suffering supply shocks. Other parts of the world are suffering the same impact of, say, the Suez Canal being blocked or the lack of semiconductors. So other parts of the world are seeing the same sort of potential supply-driven inflationary problems. Why, therefore, does that cause the U.S. dollar itself to devalue? Because it's not, again, it's not just the Federal Reserve that's put billions or trillions into its economy. The central banks of Europe, of the U.K., Australia, they've all put trillions of dollars equivalent of liquidity into their own system so why is the US dollar particularly exposed
1: um I mean the US dollar is the global reserve currency and therefore you know global trade and stuff is denominated in, in that and also you know the, the u.s in, in in absolute numbers has been doing the most amount of uh, uh, monetary easing not not in percentage terms um, and I would also say the US dollar I think the global uh, global policymakers are very aware the US dollar is uh a, a, when you're trying to foster, uh, you know trying to foster a rec- economic recovery a strong overly strong US dollar would actually derail that so they are happy for the US dollar to to fall in value um and they're actually got a very it's, um very difficult decision to make that you either you can't you either raise interest rates uh, which affects the dollar. Or if you if you want to keep interest rates down, you have to provide more liquidity, which pushes the value of the dollar down. You can't have have sort of both. Uh, you know, you can't have a, a strong dollar and be providing liquidity.
0: I think that's so. That's an in, that's a very interesting angle to to focus on because when I was slightly younger uh, and studied economics, it, it was defined often. One of the t- typical exam questions was. Inflation is a monetary phenomenon, and you have to then discuss the implications of that. And monetary supply, to your point, by central banks has been huge boost of supply, but that hasn't, to date, led to inflation in the in the in the scheme of things as we see it. So there's been trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars injected, but it hasn't led to inflation. So people will then come back and say, oh, well, there's a, there's a new era, a new epoch under which we're operating. This, this doesn't work anymore, this historical um, understanding of inflation. So central bank action really doesn't lead to inflation. So what, what's, how, do you, how do you join those two rather disconnected ideas?
1: So, so we're in a very, very sort of u- unique period of time. And you talked about, you know, a, a bubble in many assets with a backdrop of, you know, uh, terrible employment. I think what is different now is uh, the debt levels, And the supply side of the equation, we didn't have the supply shock and we didn't have the debt levels that that exist today. And And when you say
0: debt levels, we're talking about US is about 110% of GDP. It's total debt. It's total debt. Whereas during the European financial crisis, Spain's was about 105% and people went and pressed every panic button they could possibly find.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Any country you look around the world, like those debt levels far exceed anything we've seen in any other financial crisis. Yeah. And yet we're still taking on more debt because we have to take on more debt to pay down the existing debt.
0: Yeah. And then your argument then is, and we're going to come up to a break, I think, very shortly. Uh, but your argument is, if the central bank does something about this potentially endemic inflation raising interest rates, because that's one of the very few ways you can actually control inflation. You could, It's difficult to do it otherwise yep. uh, because... Governments control fiscal policy, and governments don't like to raise taxes and cut back on spending, so you have to raise interest rates. If you raise interest rates when total debt is 110% of GDP, uh, you raise them by 1%, that's potentially a doubling of interest costs. Well, interest costs are already a high share of budgetary expenses, so you double that share of budgetary expenses, which means your total debt burden, by definition, will increase. Yes. That's presumably quite problematic.
1: Absolutely. And so governments need to service that debt, so they end up printing more money, but they also need – they have less revenue, so they print more money also to provide uh, spending on infrastructure. So we also have the other – and we could talk after the break mm-hmm. – the fiscal backdrop, which is, you know, not only do we have monetary policy spending, we now have huge fiscal spending as well, which is further exacerbating the problem.
0: Well, it's it's a, it's a spiral aspect that, I suppose, if and when it happens, how do you actually – stop that getting out of control because it is a self-fulfilling prophecy so what do what does a central bank do about this and they've been lucky i suppose over the last what 10 years or so with technological innovation has resulted in a lot of prices coming down but now that supply shocks have disrupted the technological innovation impact maybe they start to get unlucky and then how do you actually cure that so i think if i'm not mistaken our producer is probably going to lead us to a break right now and then we'll come back and discuss exactly that point This is Money
1: Sense, bringing an informed financial perspective to the Cayman community. Brought to you by the CFA Society Cayman Islands.
0: And now, more Money Sense. Welcome back to Money Sense with Adam Newman and myself, Simon Caudry. In the first half of the show, we ruminated on the subject of inflation talking a little bit about some of the economics and some of the practical impacts. And we we ended the first half of the show with this concern that central banks have almost had it too easy in the last 10, 15 years. They've got to be able to get away with not having to concern themselves with inflation because there's been supply chain benefits. It might be that that isn't such a rosy outlook in the future. And then, well, if that element of the inflation puzzle doesn't fit into the jigsaw as they would like... What does that mean for them? Does that mean that they that they could be an unpleasant spiral going forward? So let, let's talk about. Let's, let's see what you have to say on that one, Adam.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I think the um, the debt levels are, are the biggest concern now, as I say, with inflation. And what we will we should expect to see, I feel, was is you know high probability is as interest rates rise. We will hear more rhetoric out of the Federal Reserve about uh, effective, uh, something called yield curve control, where you effectively suppress uh, the um, uh, interest rates. Uh, so, you know, the US 10 year rates will be uh, possibly targeted to be within a certain range. Uh, we've seen it in other countries. We've seen it in Japan. Japan have, you know, been quite effective in doing this. But effectively, if you are doing yield curve control, the way you suppress or control those interest rates is by printing more money to effectively weigh down the interest rates. So if you are going to, if that's the approach, you want to hold down inflation rates um, because of debt levels, the outlet for that will be the US dollar, the currency, because you print more and more of the US dollar to hold down interest rates. And so you get a weaker and weaker dollar. Now, it doesn't, it really doesn't help inflation. So my, you know, uh, my view is the Fed is, is really caught between a rock and a hard place. And I honestly don't know what the, you know, I, I find it hard to see how the the Federal Reserve get out of this. I feel that inflation will continue to creep higher, but you won't see it in interest rates necessarily. You will see it in a weaker dollar. And I think, you know, thinking bigger and longer term, the more important question is what, you know, what does that mean for savers and investment allocation decisions? and one thing i keep coming back to is do owning bonds make much sense going forward uh you know bonds uh you know have been traditionally bought or you know traditionally but not in recent year, recent history bought for income uh you know not capital appreciation but as uh central banks have pushed down the price of bond uh bond yields uh you've actually seen a pre- capital capital appreciation but i actually think it doesn't necessarily if you have yield curve control Bonds aren't going to offer you that much of a return, in my in my opinion, and therefore you need to look elsewhere. Now, the bond market is a hundred and twenty five trillion. The global bond market It's like the most liquid, biggest asset class we have. So even if we if we follow my line of thinking, think that um, it no longer is as attractive, and some of that money is going to go elsewhere. Where else might that money go? Um, certainly, stocks. And we could end up going higher, higher for stocks. But I think, as I mentioned, the US dollar in this scenario loses its value. So people will look for some store of value, some other means to sort of protect their wealth, which may be things like real estate. We may have to go even higher in real estate, particularly if they're holding down the cost of interest rates. So even though I talked about those you know, prices and people paying over the odds, that might be just the beginning of this. And um, I keep coming back to, <laughs> you'll laugh, uh, cryptocurrencies. You know, this is a new asset class that uh, has, ignoring today's news about uh, Elon Musk, but, you know, Bitcoin has proved as a store of value, a deflationary or disinflationary asset. And also it has the tailwinds of being a uh, entirely new sort of technological change and asset class. So, I, you know, I, I think... The asset class decision, sorry, the asset allocation decisions of previous years are you know, no more, and I think we need to think, you know, much more seriously about other avenues and places to store wealth.
0: I guess looking at that, turning that around in a slightly different angle, uh, and I'll, I'll see if I can make this into a question as opposed to just a statement. But the the last what the last fifteen twenty five years or so has been an investing environment associated with. Gently declining interest rates and, de- and technological improvement, thereby facilitating good returns for bond investors and very good returns for equity investors over on average. Well, if the next five or ten years are potentially associated with a necessary tightening of fiscal policy in order to pay down some of this debt that has been incurred over generations, and they're associated with a need for slightly higher interest rates – and they're associated with supply chain disruptions then presumably logically turning the inverse of what happened on its head you would have a somewhat average or sort of poor return for bond investors and you'd have a potentially horrible return for equity investors because the prospects of profitability for companies in an environment where taxation is higher consumer spending is under pressure interest rates the cost of borrowing is, is higher and the ability to pass on prices, well, you're suffering higher prices, could actually erode margins. And so it could lead to a very changed environment where we could see a substantial weakness in potentially almost all asset classes in order to readjust for the new environment that we face for the next five to 10 years. That's a possibility, presumably.
1: Yeah. And actually, you know, there's an analogy with I think it's the 1970s. But, um, you know, to your point, it, it, with a similar backdrop of inflation and inflationary precious building, there the returns of bond bond investors were, were terrible. Equities fared better and actually I think the big question here, going back to my US dollar argument, is the return um of equities uh may be okay, but in dollar terms, if the dollar is losing a lot of value, the you know, the, the absolute returns are, you know, are are poor. Mm. Um and it becomes a far more tricky investing environment for sure. You know, we we've all been used to yeah, rising bonds uh, rising value of bonds and equities and it's been probably the easiest financial conditions and, easy and exceptional
0: profit margins for companies Yep. because uh, let's let sort of drill down to very very basic accounting and i'm not going to pretend to do any decent uh, complicated accounting but if your the cost of the things that you manufacture are low and consumers are willing to pay a decent price you can make good money if the cost of the th- if consumers are not really happy to pay higher prices but the costs of the things that you manufacture go up your margins quite quickly collapse and if you've borrowed money to finance that expenditure You have this inverse leverage effect which really hurts your business. Uh, It's great when you're expanding.
1: Yeah and and added to that so the the profit margins have been high for a number of reasons number of you know input costs one of which is actually wages. Wages have stagnated relative to prices for for a long time. We have a strange shift in demographics where there's going to be a lot of people leaving the labour force. Mm -hmm. So the actual unemployment headline rate we may never bring down to the levels we want, because I think there's a lot of people who have left the labour force and won't come back. So we might, and we're seeing in various industries, have a labour shortage. So that will be an added, uh, you know, uh, tightening of profit margins if we start to see wages rising as well.
0: And that's an interesting point, because I think when you you look at some of the debates that have happened over the last two to three years in terms of the political arena, uh, one of the Avenues, and this is ex- one of our co hosts, Emil, has talked about this, which is the burden of um, the perspective that people feel like they've been left behind and they haven't benefited from the. Extraordinary economic growth that has happened—they haven't felt that in their own wage pocket. They haven't felt that in their own take-home salaries. And then you've got this almost disconnected society with the, the where the haves and the have-nots, the, the the separation of the wealth between them has become ever more disconnected. So that it's increasingly associated with people who have wealth are getting ever wealthier, and those who don't are actually relatively getting further and further apart. And that's a problem for society because it leads to unhappy people mm-hmm. and it leads to in a, in a french term a, a revolution uh, and that and that's a that's a that's a dangerous thing for for societies to face but that's a not to say that there's a revolution around the corner but the the aspects of it are the the, the ingredients are there today for that sort of scenario and obviously it can be much better managed because we can understand it but that doesn't make it any safer as a as a, as a landscape against which to invest against when you've got those discontenting dis- factors that exist
1: No, uh, and I actually, uh, and it's, you know, we haven't got time to really dig into this. I I think we're on the cusp of profound change, societal change, political change, economic change. And I think it's, it's been driven by uh, technology and information. Uh, and actually it's uh, there's a great book called the sovereign individual which talks about we are transitioning from the uh, transitioning to the information age which is going to completely throw what we thought about and how we thought about and interacted with the world in, into you know complete disarray um and it talks about how we you know started with the agricultural revolution the uh then we had the industrial revolution and this is the next big revolution um and how governments have to treat how governments treat their citizens will also change governments you know who are now broke I mean it's hard to argue if they were a company that you know you can't say they're broke they will need to far better compete in this new information age for talent and for citizens uh, by and, and I think we see it on a micro level in various states in the U.S. in you know places like uh, places that I follow closely more is Wyoming and Miami, which have reached out and um, you know trying to embrace the crypto community by making rules and regulations that uh, you know appeal to to that the type of business and the type of people and talent they want to attract. Uh, in, interestingly, I think Cayman is a perfect example. It's been coined startup cities, but Cayman is a perfect example of somewhere that can not not necessarily reinvent itself but put itself out and i think we've seen it a little bit with the global citizen program cayman has an awful wow. lot to offer all, all 60 people <laughs> all, all 60 people but you know uh, on a micro level that yeah. uh, a, a, re- a
0: resounding success let's not that's um, <laughs> not dwell on that one
1: but but yeah looking forward cayman could potentially be a uh, you know is should be a very attractive place to attract oh, talent should be, and, yes. and, and capital should be if done well yes I, I mean i have plenty of thoughts about that and maybe <laughs> that could be a a, a, a whole other yeah topic so, we've got,
0: I got one minute or just less than one minute probably are we going to we, we, we start this show with talk about supply chains are supply chain problems easing as we as we speak or are they likely to worsen is that something that because inflation is just a number right but it's driven by other things and so I'm percolating beneath, are we should we, we continue to be worried about supply chain issues? I,
1: I, I answer it slightly differently. Do, do I think inflation is transitory? Mm. No, not, not anywhere near as transitory as uh, the Fed will assume, and I think it's going to be very hard to put that genie back in the bottle. In, specifically in terms of supply issues, yes, as the world opens up, we should expect some easing. So in terms of supply issues, I think we're probably close to the peak in the next couple of months, okay. um, and we should see a, easier prices. But commodity prices are not only, it's not only supply chain driven, and it's you know other things. It's well, then under- demand can take over. It's, it's demand absolutely, and it's years of underinvestment, which mm-hmm. take a long time to to sort of remedy. But um, I I am on the uh, side of believing that inflation is, is not as transitory and will exceed the uh you know the goals or the um, the levels that the central banks are comfortable with, and therefore force a hand into things like yield control and have an and, effect on and higher
0: interest rates and other. all the rest of it. Adam, we are as always wishing to talk more but unable to Uh, the news is around the corner or the next show is around the corner as well thank you again for rejoining Um, appreciate you uh, your perspective if I remember correctly your Twitter handle is at from underscore 10,000 feet 10,000 in numerical terms there you go if you understand Twitter (laughs) then go on there and and do your worst or money sent at money sense radio is our our Twitter handle so thank you again to our listeners for tuning in Uh, we will be back in two weeks time if you have any topics or questions or items you want us to consider email us or tweet us at MoneySense Radio. Our email address is moneysense at candw.ky. With that, thank you and goodbye.